So we're continuing our series here called The Inner Narrative. And as many of you may remember, Andrew and I went out to California earlier in the year to meet with our architect for the new building. And as we were on the flight on the way out, we got to sit next to each other. We're talking, we're dreaming, we're all excited about what could happen and all the things about the building. But on the way back, we got split up. And we're not flying first class, people. We're in the back, back, back of the plane. And I get put in the middle seat. And on one side, I got Kurt Cobain, if you know who that is. And on the other hand side, I got Cough Up a Lung Guy, okay? Kurt Cobain had the whole blonde hair and the hat and the whole deal, and he was singing Teen, Teen Spirit, if you know that. Uh, and on the other side, I got this guy literally just hacking up along. This guy was dying next to me. Like, and you know how it is on the plane. You're trying to eat, and he's eating, and he's just coughing like all over my food. I was convinced that when we landed, I would have like polio or something. I don't even know. But it was just like, I was, felt so disgusted, and I knew. I was like, I'm going to get sick, and I did get sick. So thank you so much, cough up a lung guy. But as we were flying, I thought to myself, man, I, I got to get proof of how nasty this is, because you all have a cough in mind. This was way worse. And so I took out my phone and I wanted to record this guy, okay? And I am not lying that as soon as I hit record on my phone, he did not cough once more the entire flight. It was literally like pressing record on my phone turned his cough off. And you know what? Wouldn't it be awesome if there was just a button we could press to turn our struggles off, to turn our temptation off and our fear off and those feelings of failure and worthlessness off? Man, See, this inner narrative thing is tricky. This whole conversation going on on the inside of us is tricky because we're constantly telling ourselves things, powerful things, but usually negatively powerful things. And in this series, we've been talking about how to change that inner narrative, how to really get God's truth deep in our heart and to be able to say, you know what? We're not gonna just sit back and allow that narrative to play itself out the way it's been going. We wanna see the truths of God go deep in our soul and impact us. And that's the thing. And all of our communicators throughout this series have been saying the same thing. This is not self-help. This is not just believe in you and you'll be a better person. No, this is we have to hear what God says. And we have to get that on, on the inside, deep down inside, because that's our only hope. And so, so far we've talked about the inner narrative of fear. Andrew did a great job talking about that inner narrative of worthlessness. We talked about the inner narrative of temptation. Joey did a great job last week talking about that inner narrative of failure. And today I want to talk with you about something that I think you can probably relate with. Many of you in the room can probably understand the struggle of sadness and depression, that inner narrative of sadness and depression. And today I want to remind you that the way we change that inner narrative is by preaching to our soul. So we're going to kind of get around some scripture that's going to encourage us. But the deal is this. Many of us struggle with this, right? Like our inner narrative is always negative. Our inner narrative is always telling us things like it's never going to get better. It's always going to get worse. You're never going to get out of this. You're going to be stuck in this pit of sadness and depression the rest of your life. You've been like this for a month or a year or your whole life, and that's what the rest of your life's going to be. And if we let that inner narrative just kind of dictate and continue to speak those things, then that's exactly how we are going to stay for the rest of our life. But we can't settle for that, right? We have to step back and say, no, wait, God has more for me. But here's one of my goals tonight. One of my goals is I want you to know you are not alone if you wrestle with this. Because there's this weird whole, like, I don't know, almost off-limit zone with, with topics like this sometimes in church. And people start to believe things like you can't be sad and depressed and be a follower of Jesus. I don't know where they got that. I don't know what Bible they've been reading. Because throughout the Bible, you find people who wrestle with times of deep sadness and depression. But also, people like me. I've struggled with sadness and depression. The first time, I, as I look back and really think about it, the first time I remember being straight up depressed was when I was about 14 years old. It's that whole middle school thing, right? Who wouldn't be depressed in middle school, right? It was just that whole adjustment age. And I just remember feeling so intensely sad. 
Fast forward to my early 20s, and I've talked about this a lot, but there were several years where I was just a mess, man. Many of your guys' age here tonight, many years of just such deep depression and sadness. And I was on this hunt for God, and there was a lot of uncertainty in that, and that was some of what was tied up together. But I was on this hunt for purpose and and what my life was all about and, and and the aim of it, and I just felt so Sad and so alone, even though I had a beautiful new wife by my side, I was not alone. I had an ama- have an amazing family. I had so many great friends all around me, and yet I felt so sad and so alone. I had so much to be excited about, yet I was so depressed. The, the third time I can think of in life where some, I wouldn't say depression, but maybe just like a real nice run of, of deep sadness hit me was actually that whole midlife thing, like hitting 40. I didn't see it coming. You know, they kind of joke about that, the midlife crisis. I didn't do anything stupid. I didn't go out and buy a Corvette and get an earring and a tattoo of an eagle on my back or anything. Or did I? Live in fear about that one, right? No, actually, it's not an eagle. It's a Chick-fil-A logo. It's on there back. But you know what? I didn't do any of that. But man, suddenly just questions of like, am I like making the difference I should make? Questions of worth, questions of achievement, questions of success, of whatever that means, right? Questions of, you know, are there people who could do this better than me at this point? Is this really still my calling? Am I on the right track for my life? Like all these wacky things, you start to think about it. I've probably lived at least half my life by now. And man, that hit me really deeply. And so there was some extended periods of sadness that I've wrestled with. And so you're not alone. And you know what? There are some very influential Christians throughout the last several hundred years that would tell you you're not alone either. There's this guy named Charles Spurgeon. Some of you know him. He's old school, like 1800s old school preacher because that's when he lived. Like He wasn't just trying to be 1800s. That's when he lived. And so he was there doing the deal and he was preaching the word of God and he was such a gifted preacher they called him the Prince of Preachers. That was his nickname. He wrote hymns, commentaries. He wrote all these amazing books and articles and this dude was the mega church pastor before there were mega churches. And yet, He was so deeply depressed. And in his writings, you can find some of the things he brings up that he thought attributed attributed this to illness in his life. He was sick somewhat. Trauma. He went through some really difficult things. Loneliness. This is interesting. He kind of pitted fame and failure kind of against each other, which really brought out some depression and also criticism in his life. And maybe some of you can relate to some of that. There's a pastor named Louis Giglio. He's the pastor of Passion City Church down in Atlanta, Georgia. And this guy sells out stadiums reaching millennials and Gen Zs. Really successful guy. He's an entrepreneur. He goes around the world. He speaks at all these big conferences, written all these books. And yet in the last several years of his life, he's talked about very openly these struggles with depression that he's been working through in his life. Some of you guys know uh, Hillsong United and, and all, all the awesome music they do. We do a lot of their music here. And Joel Houston is one of their lead writers. And he recently went through a severe de- uh, bout of depression to the point where he was even suicidal. And these are people who are, I mean, these are Jesus followers. These people love God. They're near God. They're influencing others for God. So I just want to let you know, A, you're not alone. But I also want to let you know that it doesn't mean you're not a Christian if you wrestle with this kind of stuff. And we don't talk about this kind of stuff enough in church, but you may very well be right on the track you should be on, and yet you still may feel terribly sad or depressed. Now, it's certainly wise to take a minute, take some time, seek God on this. God, am I on the right track? Am I so sad or depressed because I'm far from you right now? Am I, am I doing something that has just built a wall between me and you? That is a possibility. But I would say for most of us in the room, the answer is going to come back pretty quickly. We may just be right where we should be. But we are still wrestling with this stuff. And so what do we do? 
Well, I want to talk about this tonight because here's what I believe. I believe God has freedom for you. I believe God has freedom for me in these struggles. I do not believe for a second that it's always going to stay this way, that it's always going to get worse, that we'll never get out of this prison of depression. I do not for a second believe that it would be better off if anyone in this room or listening to this message online left this earth today because you're so sad or depressed. Those are all lies. And so today, I want to just get around the truth of God, and here's what I want to do. I want to prove to you through the scriptures that God is going to redeem the broken times in your life, that he's going to redeem the times of sadness and depression, and I want to give you a vision for someone bigger than you, something bigger than you. See, here's what happens to me when I get sad and depressed. There's a lot of me in it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of I feel, and I'm hurt, and I just can't, and I'm so angry, and I'm my mind, right? I want to give you a vision beyond you and me today because what if God wants to then take a restored you and me and cause us to go out and change the world? Because there's a lot of people broken out there. There's a lot of people hurting out there. What if your sadness and depression is going to introduce somebody to Jesus someday? And so let's work through this here tonight. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'll tell you something. You probably have wrestled with this. You've probably wrestled with sadness, depression, and these types of struggles in your life. And I want to show you tonight that God wants to help you in the midst of it. And I want to show you something beautiful Jesus has done for you. But we're so glad you're in the room with us tonight. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 61. And Isaiah was a prophet. This means God gave him the ability to see what was going to happen in the future. And this wasn't a gift Isaiah just had in and of himself. God used him this way and gifted him this way. And he wrote some verses that would come true 750 years later when Jesus would show up on the scene. And we're going to read some of these verses tonight. And here's what happened. Jesus one day walked into the Jewish place of worship and he grabbed the scroll of Isaiah and he unrolled it and he read these verses, some of them anyway, that we're going to read here tonight. And he said this, he said, hey guys, you know Isaiah wrote this 750 years ago? Yeah, guess what? I'm here to live them. I'm here to fulfill them. And so here's what it says in Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You see, here's what's going on. Isaiah, when he was writing this, he was looking ahead to a time when God would come and do amazing things in broken people's lives. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am here to do amazing things in broken people's lives. Well, Doug, what kind of amazing things? Well, look what it says next. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. If you look at the Hebrew here, the phrase literally means to bind up a wound. I don't know about any of you guys, but my wife, My daughter here and my older son love to watch medical shows, operations and such. Anyone here like to watch that kind of stuff? Just Okay, we've got a prayer team that's going to be here right after service. And we, so here's what's happening. They're watching this stuff, and they're like eating spaghetti, meatballs, and they're removing someone's frontal lobe. You know what I mean? And me and Landon are gagging and hiding under a cave of blankets, right? And then we, we wait for the words. All stitched up, right? All stitched up. All bound up, right? Everything's put back together. Sweet, can Landon and I emerge, right? Guys, you know what? Some of us are walking through life right now. And we have a broken heart that is just bleeding out. And Jesus has come to bind that thing up. Jesus has come to put those pieces back together. God loves you so much. He sent Jesus to put your heart back together. So you don't have to live the rest of your life like this. I just don't want you to believe that lie tonight. That this is your life and this is the rest. I don't care if you're 10 or if you're 70 here tonight. There is still life for you to live in the joy of God. 
And so we're going to continue to break this down here. Look at what it says next. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners. See, sometimes when, when depression comes in, it just feels like you get taken captive. It feels like you just got literally picked up and pulled away and thrown into a prison. And what does this mean here when it talks about the darkness, right? It says to release from darkness the prisoners. Well, what's that darkness about? It's talking about the darkness of the prison itself. Look what it says in Isaiah 42, 7. It was talking about what God would do as well. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in the darkness. Here's the deal, guys. We sometimes find ourselves in a dungeon of depression, and it is dark in that dungeon. And we wonder if we'll ever see light again. And I want you to get out of your head the idea of the prison that you and I have in our mind. Like when Isaiah wrote this, he wasn't talking about prison bars and some dude in an orange jumpsuit and a bunk bed and a toilet in the corner. Like that's not the prison in mind. The prison in mind was really literally like that word dungeon actually describes it better. I have a picture here of a prison that was uncovered by some archaeologists. And this was probably a prison used slightly after Isaiah's time. But here's what I got to tell you about the prison. On the left-hand side of the screen, you see that staircase going down in there? That's only there because that's now a tourist attraction. So that wasn't there back in the day when they would throw prisoners down there. And there are lights illuminating that wall so that we can see the prison. The only way in and out of that prison and the only light that got into that dungeon is if you look to the top, there's a circle and there's a tiny little bit of light hitting the side. It's probably even hard for you to see on the screen. That was the one way in and the one way out of that dungeon. It was a hole in the ground and you were dropped in and there was not light even when there should have been light. One of the archaeologists named Fortini says this, the idea was that they, the prisoners, had to disappear They had no right to be a part of a human society, so they were symbolically removed from the world and confined to the underworld. And I'm telling you guys, this word dungeon that Isaiah uses, I don't think it's by mistake, because sometimes when we are so deeply depressed, it feels like we are living in this underworld almost. And when it should be light, it's still dark, right? Some of you guys are about to graduate college or high school. That should be a light time in your life. It should be bright out, so to speak, but it feels dark in your heart. Some of you guys are, are looking forward to summer, man. Can't wait to hit the beach, and you're just so excited about that. But, but that should be a light time, but it, it just everything feels dark. You, you, you lived the same life last year, but it was all light. But right now, it's just black. Some of you guys are a little older, man, and you know what? You're about to get married, or your kids are about to get married, or maybe your grandkids are about to get married. And man, again, that should be exciting. Or maybe they're about to have a child, and that should be exciting. But even when it's light out, it's dark when you're depressed. And in this dungeon. But I got to tell you today that, that this verse tells us that Jesus came to bring freedom to the captives. So that you and I won't stay in that dungeon forever. And so here's what we have to train ourselves. When our inner narrative says, I'm so sad. Things are always going to be this way. I'm never going to get out of this. We need to begin to preach to our soul. No, Jesus came. God came to free me. God came to give me new life in him. Jesus came so that I would get released from that dungeon of darkness. And so some of you guys might be saying, you know what, depression, sad, it's not really my struggle. Well, our God's so good, he releases us from many prisons. He releases us from prisons of temptation and addiction and fear. And so your struggle tonight might be depression and sadness. And, and, and Isaiah 61, 2 goes on. It says that Jesus came to do this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now that seems like a really intense verse. Like, what's that all about? Basically, it's saying that God came to bless you and I 
And favor doesn't mean you get a Lamborghini and a mansion. It means you get things like joy and you get things like salvation and peace and freedom and provision, yes. But you know what? It also means that God becomes our defender. I don't know about you, when I get really sad, do you know where I go in my head a lot? I go to those people that have hurt me and I go to those people that I'm upset at and I have conversations with them and they're usually very dark conversations, right? And we begin to struggle with what we're saying to the Lord, like, God, just drop a piano on my boss or that professor, Lord. I don't know how you would do it, but you are great and mighty in all things. And I believe there is a storehouse of Baldwin pianos somewhere up there that could just drop at any moment, right? And you know what? That's not the heart behind this. It's just simply saying, God, I don't have to fight my battles anymore. Oh, God, you defend me. You defend me. I'm so hurt, and that's what's driven me into this sadness. They said this, they did that, they betrayed me like that, and I'm so broken God, I'm going to let you handle it. I'm going to give them to you, and I'm going to give me to you as well. Then it goes on, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus came to comfort all who mourn. And I just have to encourage you today, if you are depressed today, please hear me say loud and clear, God does not rebuke you for that. See, that's the thing we've, we've gotten wrong in church for so long, is that we think we can't be real about our problems and our brokenness. We think we can't bring to the surface our things like sadness and depression. God does not rebuke you here tonight. He wants to comfort you. And if I can just encourage you, if you're walking with someone through a period of depression, someone that you love, can I just encourage you, this practical tip here, don't rebuke them, comfort them. They don't need your rebuke. I'm so grateful that when I've gone through my times of sadness, my, my wife has not rebuked me for it. You know, and it can be hard, man, because you're in the middle of it. And from the outside, this is the weird thing about depression. From the outside, so often, everyone can just look at your life and say, you should not feel this way. Like you, you have this and you're blessed in that way and this way. And it can become easy to become frustrated with a depressed person. But it, it, the weird thing is, is, is from the outside, that may be true. And you could even maybe say that to yourself, but that's not what you feel in the moment. And so I want to encourage you, be a comforter to those who mourn. The scripture tells us we can bring comfort to those who are sad because we ourselves have found comfort in God. And you say, well, Doug, how do I comfort them? I don't know. You know them. How, how will they best find comfort? Praying for them? Just some of us, seriously, we just need to grab a friend's hand. We need to grab our spouse's hand. We need to put our arm around a brother or a sister and just, I'm going to pray for you right now. And we're going to cry out to Jesus that this thing would break. Some of you need just to encourage somebody with a scripture but, but you know what, probably even more than those things, maybe you just need to be someone that they could talk to. Maybe you just need to be someone who can sit in a room, in silence even, and just let them know that you're there. Maybe for some of you, it's buying them lots and lots of ice cream. I recommend Ben and Jerry's Chubby Hubby. It's chocolate-covered pretzels with peanut butter on the inside, and it lives up to its name. Let's just say that, okay? I don't know what's going to comfort your friend or your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend. I don't know, but you know. Let God use you to bring that comfort. And know here tonight that if you are mourning, Jesus does not rebuke you. He's come to bring comfort. Verse three, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. He, he wants to provide some things. What does he want to provide? This is powerful. Check this out. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Ashes is what they would put on themselves when they were mourning. And this is a really cool wordplay in the Hebrew language. We miss this in the English language, but Isaiah was, had a little rhyme thing going on here. You see, the word peer means, in, 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 the, in the Hebrew language, it's this, it's this crown, it's this tiara, it's this beautiful headdress even, right? And, and a fear means ashes. And so what Isaiah is saying here is, God wants to give you peer for a fear. 
He wants to take away those ashes and replace them with this crown. He wants to give you peer for a fear. Guys, some of us in the room so badly need peer for a fear tonight. We so badly need those ashes removed. And we need that crown of grace that God puts on us. The next part says, the oil of joy instead of mourning. God wants to give us this oil of joy instead of mourning. It was this idea that when you'd go to a wedding or a feast and you walked in, they would literally pour perfume on you. Now that would tick me off, man. Don't throw nothing on me, right? But this was a thing of honor. This was, oh wow. If you remember in the the scriptures, there was a time when Jesus walked into a place and they didn't do anything for him. They didn't wash his feet. They had nothing to pour on him. And and it was this whole idea of this lady then coming in and and doing that, right? Which which the, the, the person that was hosting the party had completely missed. It was the same idea. Walking into the room, and someone pouring this perfume, but they would withhold this perfume if they knew you were in mourning. And so what Isaiah is saying here, Jesus has come to remove that whole idea of mourning from our life and instead pour out on us the oil of joy. It goes on. He says, and a a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You see, when they would go to that, party, when they would go to that wedding, that celebration, they would wear bright colors because it was a time to celebrate and they would wear these garments of praise, so to speak, instead of a spirit of of despair. And they would literally, when they were mourning, they would put on this sackcloth, right? This stuff that was itchy and painful to remind them how upset and sad they were. And here is Isaiah saying, Jesus has come to take that off you and though you don't wear sackcloth with you to the office or to school this week, some of us will wear a spirit of despair, right? He says, Jesus has come take that off you and replace it with these beautiful garments of praise. Maybe these are some of the verses we got to get in our hearts. Oh God, you've said you're going to pour, pour rather the oil of joy on me, God. You have said you're going to give me peer for a fear, God. You're going to remove the ashes and put a crown on my head, God. You're going to give me this joy in you. And then it says this, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. See, here's what happens when you get depressed When you become really sad, it feels like you have no roots. In other words, when the wind blows, you're going to get toppled over very easily. But this here tells us Jesus came to plant us like an oak of righteousness. I don't know if you've ever messed around with an oak tree, but their roots go really deep. I had a friend when I was in in high school, his dad said, hey, can you come over and help us, you know, take this tree down? I'm thinking we're doing like an azalea and we get over there and it's an oak. I'm like, for real? And so they cut this thing for like an hour with a chainsaw. They tie it up to a Jeep. They pull, the tree falls, but then there's this huge, huge trunk in the ground, right? And so I'm like, all right, where's the, where's the stump grinder, right? Where's the stump grinder coming? He, he gives me a shovel. He's like, we're going to dig this bad boy out. I'm not messing around with you. We dug for weeks. I didn't get paid for that either. Right? We dug for weeks to get those roots of that oak up out of the ground. And here... We're told that Jesus came to plant us like oaks of righteousness. Why? Because it will display his splendor. You know what that tells me, guys? When Jesus plants us, when he roots us, when he gets us back on our feet and he shows the world that he's given us a crown instead of these ashes and he's replaced all that stuff we've placed on ourselves with these beautiful ordained clothes of joy and life, people are going to look at him and say, he is a great God. Now here is where we have to begin to preach that to our soul. Stop those old inner narratives of that this is never going to change and begin to say, no, Jesus is making me an oak of righteousness for his splendor to display his goodness. And right here in the message is where we shift. 
This is where we go from us receiving to becoming people who can transform the world outside these doors because we're new in him. This is the vision I want to give you that's bigger than yourself. Look at what it says here in verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Let me ask you a question. Who is doing the renewing and the rebuilding in these verses? It's the people who used to be so brokenhearted and depressed and sad that God had to come bind their heart up back together. But now their heart is bound up back together and the oil of joy has been poured out on them. And now they're going out and listen what they're doing. They are rebuilding and renewing others. And I'm here to tell you today, that's what God will do with your life if you allow him to. You will become the rebuilder. You will become the renewer. Look what it says in verse 6. Look what you'll be called. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. Now, we live on Long Island, and there's a lot of Catholicism on Long Island. There's a lot of religion on Long Island. And you might look at the screen and say, well, what's up with the priest thing here? Well, see, here's what's amazing. When you begin to read the Bible for yourself, you begin to realize that the priest is not like me, the guy who preaches from the stage and leads the church. God begins to call every single one of us a priest, a minister of God. And here's what God wants to do with your life and my life. Once he's put us back on our feet, he wants us to go out and change the world as priests and ministers. He wants you to walk out of these doors as a priest and a minister into your school and into your workplace to make an impact for him. And you know what? We're going to see here what kind of people this works for. Because some of you are not followers of Jesus tonight and you're saying, man, this must be for all the good people in the room. This must be for all the people who have it all together. They get to become priests and ministers for God. But I want you to see something. Look at what it says in verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. Guys, some of you walked in this room and shame and disgrace perfectly describe you. But here is Isaiah telling us, no, See, see, the people who get to become ministers and priests, they're the ones who had walked in shame and disgrace. But I will give them something they don't deserve. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. What is all this about? What is all this talking about? How can God use me, a broken, messed up person, to go out and be a minister and a priest, someone who has wrestled with depression and sadness, can go out there and, and, and impact others and bring hope to others. How is that possible? It's possible not because I'm a good person who got it all together, but because God is so gracious. And I want you to see the next verse, and I want to illustrate it for you. In verse 10, it says this, I delight, now Isaiah's talking, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. And I want you to get the word picture here. Just like I can't, you know, decide to put on righteousness in my own way, it's just like this. If, if Joe represents God here and I'm just plain old me, Joe has to put this on me. Like, Joe had to put this righteousness or this salvation on me, right? I can't clothe myself in it. And here's the deal. Some of us have been trying our whole lives to clothe ourselves in salvation. Like, that's been what you do. You wake up every single day and you think, how can I just get God to like me? How can I get him to love me? How can I do something good or right or pure? How can I undo all the horrible things I did this past weekend or over spring break? And in this next month, I'm going to be really good. And I'm going to get myself saved, right? No, God has to put this on you. 
And the same with salvation and righteousness here together, that they get literally put on us, placed on us. I cannot put my salvation or my righteousness on me. As hard as I may try, it will never work. And for me, this is a gift. For you, this is a gift. But it cost Jesus his life, and he got put down into the grave, and he rose back from the dead and said, now let me put my righteousness and my salvation on you. That's what God can do for you and me. That's who we're talking about. This is the God who can take broken, depressed, sad people and begin to put our lives back together and fill us with the joy of God who can then go out and be ministers and priests to the world who are dying without a Savior. So don't you tell me for a second that it's always going to be this way that you're always going to be sad, that it's always going to be this downward trajectory. No, God has so much better for you and me. If you're here wrestling with sadness and depression here tonight, I pray that you're encouraged to know you are not alone. As some of God's best saints, so to speak, have wrestled with the very same thing you wrestle with. I hope you see you are not ruled out from being used by God. And hope if you're not a follower of Jesus, you have seen tonight what it actually looks like to be given salvation, clothed in the righteousness of God that you could never clothe yourself in. And so what I want you guys to really see today is that Jesus binds up broken hearts and rescues from the dungeon of depression. That's the God that we serve. That's the one who walks with you and me. And so we need to begin to catch that old narrative of no hope and it's always going to be this way and replace it with the fact that Jesus came to bind up our broken heart and bring us out of the dungeon of darkness. And he wants to plant us like trees of righteousness and turn us into ministers and priests who can go and rebuild and renew the world around us. You see, this isn't just about you. It is partially about you, but it's not just about you. It's also about a bunch of Christians being on our feet and ready for action so that God can use us out there in the world and he will use our brokenness in ways we never could have dreamed. Allow God to use what you've been through. Watch how you impact others. I will tell you what my depression in my 20s did for me because I grew up just wanting to laugh and have fun and if you came into the room and you were sad or you were a little bit, you know, heavy, I, I really don't want to have anything to do with you because you were ruining my fun. And, and literally, that depression in my 20s turned me from being a jerk who was selfish and couldn't care less to someone who had great sympathy for those that are suffering. And I believe that God will do the same for you. He will take those things that you struggle with because some of you are addicted to stuff I've never been addicted to. You've been through horrific situations I've never been through. And you are more qualified to reach people who have been through those things than I am. And so, man, there is such incredible, incredible potential in this room here tonight. Next week, we're going to wrap up this series. We're going to talk about what a healthy inner narrative really looks like. And we're going to talk about what God can do when we live from that place. But tonight, I hope that you've been encouraged. And I hope you're ready to go to war with that inner narrative that says, Sadness and depression are going to own you the rest of your life. God has so much more for you. And Christians, we got to be ready to go make a difference in our world. God has so much better. Preach that to your soul. There is hope in Jesus. It will not always be like this. He is the God who releases me from my prison. He is the God who doesn't just throw a rope down into my dungeon. He went down into the dungeon and picked me up and pulled me out. 
That's who this Jesus is. And now he's going to use me, even in my brokenness, to impact others. Charles Spurgeon, in 1890, preached a sermon called The Tenderness of Jesus. He said the sympathy of Jesus is the next most precious thing to his sacrifice. And I wept my way through this in the first service, and I cried my way through it in the second, and I hope I can get through it now because this is really close to home for me. This is what he said. He said, this morning, being myself more than usually compassed with infirmities, I desire to speak as a weak and suffering preacher of that high priest. This high priest is not in Rome. He is not at the Catholic Church down the street. This high priest is Jesus, who is full of compassion. And my long is that any who are low in spirit, faint, despondent, and even out of the way may take heart to approach the Lord Jesus. Jesus is touched not with a feeling of your strength, but of your infirmity. Down here, Poor, feeble, nothings affect the heart of their great high priest on high who is crowned with glory and honor. As the mother feels with the weakness of her babe, so does Jesus feel with the poorest, saddest, and weakest of his chosen. And that might be you tonight. You might say, I'm the weakest of your chosen God. I am the weakest person in this room. I've got nothing to offer you. I am so brokenhearted and I'm so sad and I just can't imagine I'll ever get out of this dungeon. Well, thank God that our Jesus binds up broken hearts and rescues from the dungeon of depression. Let's pray together. God, we thank you tonight that you are a Savior like no other. That God, you have done in us and can do in us what no one else can do. And God, I just pray for the person right now who feels alone. I pray for the person right now who believes that none of this is gonna change. And I pray that the hope of God would fill their hearts. God, even as we worship together here now, I just pray the hope of God over this crowd today, over those listening to this podcast or this stream, that God, your hope would fill their lives. And Jesus, we come so broken. We are, it's true, we are broken, but you are a God that restores and then causes us to turn into restorers and renewers and rebuilders. And so God, I pray that tonight, amazing things would happen, miracles would take place, that feet would be set on new paths, Lord, and that you would come down once again by your Holy Spirit into that dungeon and pick us up and throw us over your shoulder, God, and carry us up and out into the light that we would walk in freedom. God, I know throughout my lifetime it's been your truths that have broken the depression off me every single time, that have broken the sadness off me every single time. And I pray, God, that your truths will penetrate our hearts and the inner narrative will change. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you pray about this? If you have wrestled with sadness and depression, would you pray about your own condition? But if you have not, would you pray about someone that you know that wrestles with it? And would you pray for the patience to love them well and to comfort those who mourn like Jesus would? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to pray with us tonight. People have been putting their trust in Jesus all day long, and it's been so exciting. I'd love for you to pray with me right now. Something like this, just quietly. Jesus, thank you so much that you came into my dungeon 
And God, you saw me covered in my ash and, and my sackcloth, God. You saw me in my shame and my disgrace. And God, you, you covered me in salvation. You put on a cloak of righteousness. Your righteousness is now what I wear. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for rising back from the dead. And today, I put my trust in you. And I say, yes, Jesus. Show me what it is to follow you. Before we open our eyes tonight, I just want to be praying for you if you put your trust in Jesus tonight. I'd love for you just real quick, if you just, just look up at me real quickly. Let me know that you prayed that prayer for the first time. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Awesome. Anybody else? I see you. I see you. Awesome. Anybody else? I see you. Yep. I see you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. God, continue your work, Lord. Continue your work. If you prayed that prayer for the first time tonight, we would love to walk through this with you. Maybe the person that brought you can help you take some steps toward Jesus, or we would love to connect you with someone who can do that for you. Tonight, we're going to close here singing a couple songs, and the first song we're going to sing is written by that guy, Joel Houston. You may remember I, I talked about how he was suicidal in this last season, depressed in this last season, and this song came out of that experience. This song is a song of triumph and celebration to the God who re renews our lives and rebuilds our lives and turns us into renewers and rebuilders. Let's stand and sing together. <laughs>